want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the latter part uh, of Acts chapter 5 this morning, beginning at verse 17 and reading down to the end of the chapter. Listen to the word of the Lord. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand at the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Someone came and told them, look, the men you whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him came Judas the Galilean, who rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the, pre- so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, I do ask this morning that you would lead us, 
As we look together at your word for a few moments, Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would do that work in our hearts, that you would, Lord, make us more like yourself in every way. I pray that as your people sit together, all of us under the authority of your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of the Spirit through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Martin Luther King is quoted as saying, says, but we are gravely mistaken to think that Christianity protects us from the pain and agony of mortal existence. Christianity has always insisted that the cross we bear precedes the crown we wear. To be a Christian, one must take up his cross with all of its difficulties and agonizing and tragedy-packed content and carry it until that very cross leaves its marks on us and redeems us to that more excellent way which comes only through suffering. Uh, The disciples, the disciples, the apostles, didn't understand fully what Jesus meant when He told them, uh, as quoted in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Yet now, after His resurrection, after His resurrection and through their own experiences of suffering, they were coming to understand what their Lord meant. And not only were they coming to understand the place of suffering in the Christian life as we proclaim Christ in this world, they, as the, as, as the text in front of us tells us, they were responding to that suffering in what ha- would have been deemed strange to those outside, and per- perhaps strange to those inside the church. They were not disheartened by their trial. They were not defeated by it. Rather, they rejoiced at the opportunity to suffer shame for standing for Christ in this world. And I'm not suggesting here that every type of suffering will cause us joy. There's suffering that comes from living in a world that has fallen. Our bodies are subject to decay, resulting at times in illness and pain and, and even death. We, we, we've seen the fragility of our, of our own bodies as this COVID-19 virus has left untold suffering throughout our world. There's also the suffering that comes from from our sins, right? From the consequences of our sinful choices, which leaves broken relationships, a broken sense of our fellowship with God, and shame and disappointment within our own hearts. God is with us in those sufferings as well. The suffering of living in a fallen world and of the sinful choices we make, God is with us in that suffering. And God can, He can through His power and through His presence at work give us joy even in the midst of that pain, the pain that comes with that kind of suffering. But the suffering in the text in front of us is the suffering that comes as a direct result of preaching and acting for Christ in this world, preaching and acting for Christ in this world. Make no mistake about it, if you preach and act in this world for Christ, you will at some point experience suffering for it. Whether slander 
or violence or marginalization or imprisonment or the like, standing for Christ in this world has a price. It has a cost attached to it. And that price is suffering. Did not the Lord say to his apostles, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as it loves its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who has sent me. I maintain that one of the significant challenges for many of us and for many of our churches is that we want to be loved. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want the world's appreciation. We want its political favors. We want its material favors. We want its power. We want its privileges. And so rather than speaking the whole counsel of God and applying that counsel to our actions in this world, we pick and choose the parts of that counsel that fit best with the group in the world that we are most trying to court or that is most trying to court us. But if we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, can I tell you this morning, nobody is left untouched. And therefore, we should expect that such preaching and action will court persecution from all sides of the unbelieving world. I'm not suggesting that we are offensive in our preaching and our practice. I'm only suggesting that when we are preaching and practicing rightly, it is as Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And the world doesn't suffer what gets in the way of its agenda, and it does not suffer what it counts as foolishness. And so here were the disciples challenging the religious leaders with the foolishness of their ways and bringing good news, the good news of God, new, a new way of life in Jesus. And what did they get for it? They got thrown in jail. And we find them not despairing, but as the end of our text says this morning, they were rejoicing. And it begs a question for us this morning. How do we embrace suffering for Christ with joy? <laughs> what does God do to help us to endure, to persevere, and to rejoice in the face of the trials that we suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of making Christ's name known in this world? Well, we got two things. One, we have the Lord's help. We have the Lord's help in our trials, and our suffering. And secondly, we have the Lord's recognition. We have the Lord's help. We have the Lord's recognition. First of all, we have the Lord's help. When we suffer for Christ in this world, one thing we can be assured of, listen to me this morning, one thing you can be assured of when you suffer for Christ in this world is the Lord's help. The Lord does not leave us. We can count on his divine agency to be at work in our circumstances. And we see this divine agency in two ways in the text in front of us this morning. First of all, God can change the physical circumstances. 
We'll say this again. God can change the physical circumstances of our suffering. Listen again to verses 19 and 20. It reads, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The resources of those who might inflict suffering on us because of our faith in Christ are not stronger than the resources that are at God's disposal. Did you hear me? The resources that are at the disposal of those who would cause us suffering for the name of Christ are not stronger than the resources that are at God's disposal. That God sent His angel to open the doors for the disciples to carry on with the work He had for them is a message to all of us who have been called out by God to make His name known in the world. It's a message that God can directly change the physical circumstances that our enemies place us in. It's a message that He can physically deliver us from the hands of those who oppose us. It's a message that our God's power is greater than the power of our enemies. How else? How else? I mean, how else can we stand up under trials if we do not have confidence that our God can actually deliver us from them? I read this to you last week for different reasons, but let me read it to you again. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about his and his companions' suffering and God's deliverance of them in that suffering. He says this, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for we do not want, to, want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. To know that God can directly intervene to change the physical circumstances of our trial is one aspect of His help that gives us the freedom to embrace suffering for His sake. We can enter into it knowing that when the time comes, our God can deliver us and that our enemies, when He decides to deliver us, cannot stay His hand. There are countless stories throughout the history of the church of God delivering His people from dangers and trials of all kinds. And some of you in this very room can testify to God's physical deliverance from some trial that threatened to thwart God's purposes in your life. Do, do I have a witness? Some of you have seen God come and deliver you from things that you could not deliver yourself from, and you knew when you got out of it that it was God who set you free. You got testimonies. You've got testimonies of God's direct intervention to change some circumstance that would have overpowered you. Maybe you didn't see an angel, but you know it was God, and only God, who came and saved you. God can, God can help us, and His help can take this form of direct intervention on our behalf. But God can also, He can also reverse the decisions of men. God, God can directly intervene, and He can also reverse the decisions that men have made against us. 
And so God's help can come in that form of, freely, uh, of, of freeing us directly, or it can also come through God's sovereign ability to reverse the decisions of men. In other words, God can directly open the door himself, or he can work so that the people who close the door will open it for him. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> he can work to directly open the door, or he can work through those who close the door to begin with and cause them to reverse the decision they made against us. The apostles' bold claim that they would not obey the unjust command to no longer speak and act in Jesus' name, and the bold and truth-laden recounting of these leaders' crime of putting the Messiah to death and of God's overturning that criminal act through the resurrection of His Son, the now Prince and Savior of Israel and the world, it creates for the apostles the very real threat of death. There is something about, listen to me, there is something about telling the truth of God to unjust power that regularly leads to that unjust power doubling down on its injustice. The truth is, when confronted with God's truth, unjust power comes to realize that it has an expiration date. <laughs> I wish I had some witnesses in the house. It has an expiration date. That its time under the sun is not indefinite. And I just want to let you know, New City, that if you're going to preach Christ in this world, the time comes where you must speak truth to powerful people and powerful entities. The preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that has come in Jesus and its priorities will bring you into conflict with the priorities of the kingdoms of this world. And contrary, contrary to the popular belief that exists in some circles of the church, God has not commanded silence from His people when those priorities clash. God has not commanded silence from His people when the priorities of the kingdom clash with the priorities of this world. No, no, we must not take up the sword against our enemies. No, we must not slander them. No, we must not threaten. No, we must not repay evil for evil. However, we must speak God's truth in Jesus, the rightful king of this world, prepared to take whatever suffering comes for us, comes to us when we do so. The disciples weren't trying to overthrow their rulers, but they were also not prepared to shut up preaching and proclaiming the truth about Him and His kingdom. And what was the response from those in charge? Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But what does God do? What does God do? Well, one of them one of, one of their own, a Pharisee, rises up and gives counsel to the whole group. Gamaliel, a respected, honored member of the group, the, apostles Paul, the, the Apostle Paul's teacher, when Paul was a Pharisee, convinces them to let the disciples go. And his reasoning isn't rooted in sympathy for the Christian movement. It isn't rooted in faith in the Apostles' testimony about Jesus. Rather, it's a, it's a moderate, political, philosophical uh, theological ideal. It basically says if, if this movement is not from God, it will fail on its own. And he uses some past movements to bolster his argument. But if it's from God, you won't be able to resist it, and you may be found fighting against God. And so the leaders accept 
Gamaliel's advice. And after flogging the disciples, another abuse of power, by the way, they let them go. Well, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? On the surface, on the surface, a group of men counseled together and came up with a decision that resulted in the disciples' release. But you know that Luke isn't telling you this part of the story for nothing. What just happened is that the Lord who rules over the deliberations of men worked through a non-believer to accomplish His purposes. Through Gamaliel's counsel, the Lord reversed what would most likely have been a decision to find a way to put the disciples to death. Listen this morning. The Lord is king, and he rule, His rule, His rule extends even to the decisions of unjust rulers. I'm going to say that again. The Lord is king, and His rule extends even to the decisions of unjust rulers. God is able to work among, within, and through the decisions of those who don't know Him to rule in favor for His people. And if you know your Bible, you know that that's the kind of God we serve. Because over and over again, God has shown Himself able to rule within the decisions of unjust men in favor of His people. That's what it means to have the Lord's help in our suffering for the cause of the gospel in this world. It means having a God who can work directly to deliver us or who can work through the decisions of men to deliver us. Either way He has to do it, God is able to deliver people of God. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. And as you stand for Christ in this world, you are not standing by yourself. You are standing for Christ with the Lord's help behind you because God has a purpose for you to make known His kingdom in this world, and it will be made known because He is God and King over all the earth. Amen, people of God. So knowing that we have the Lord's help as we suffer for Him in this world is meant to strengthen our faith. And what we need in those moments of enduring shame and persecution and violence and hardship uh, and trial, it, it, we need a strong faith. We need to trust that our God has not abandoned us, that He is not on vacation, that He is not ignoring our situation. And faith in God, God's help, faith in His help enables us to endure the shame until God has accomplished His purposes in the trial. So maybe you're being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Perhaps your commitment to some aspect of preaching the gospel is causing trouble for you. Folk don't like that you are so concerned for racial and socioeconomic and gender justice. And so they're seeking to damage your reputation. You're standing within your family, uh, on your job, or in the community at large. They're calling you everything but a child of God. And as you endure these things, God is calling you to have faith in Him, faith in His ability to help to change the circumstances or to overrule the decisions of men on your behalf. But maybe it's not your concern for justice in the arenas I just mentioned, but your concern for the sanctity of life. Perhaps your concern for life in the womb, life outside the womb, isn't going over well with those who believe that the decisions about life are really theirs to make. Yeah. Maybe your insistence on honoring the Lord, who is the author of life, is leading in the same ways I mentioned above to persecution that is leading to divisions in your family. 
and in your friendships and in other places. By the way, as a side note, I don't believe these two things should be played off each other as they often are in the church. God's justice includes both of them. God's justice includes both of them. God's justice includes both of them. And Christians who stand for them will be persecuted more and more in the culture around us. But if you're in that place of being persecuted because you stand for life, just know that God wants you to have faith, to trust in His help and His ability to deliver you from persecution and to reverse the decisions of men. Wherever you are being persecuted because you are preaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom that has come in Jesus, just know you are not in that by yourself. The Lord is with you to deliver you and to set you free. Amen, people of God. We have the Lord's help. We have the Lord's help in our suffering. That's one of the reasons we can rejoice. But we can also rejoice in our suffering as we stand for Christ because we have the Lord's recognition. We have the Lord's recognition. We have that in two ways as well. First of all, we are counted worthy in the presence of men. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The apostles' ministry, their ministry of preaching the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God in Him, their, their ministry was having its intended impact among the people. Despite having been thrown in jail before this incident, God was working powerfully through their testimony to win people to the kingdom through faith in His Son. God was working so powerfully that the early church was esteemed highly by those in and around Jerusalem, even among those who were not joining the church. This esteem did not go unnoticed by the rulers and the authorities. Listen to the reason that Luke tells us that they were arrested. Verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Jealousy? Jealousy? Come on. Certainly rulers, people entrusted with high levels of responsibility, aren't motivated by something so base as jealousy, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Some folk don't care about the good that is being done, especially when it obscures their own shine, their own glory. These rulers couldn't stand that the people were rushing to this new movement, following this new teaching, this new way of life. And all of a sudden, the authority and privilege that they enjoyed was being eroded. And from their perspective, they needed to do something to slow the progress of this movement. They could care less about whose lives were being truly healed. Could care less about those who were being set free from their sins. Could care less about the generosity that was being produced among this group. Could care less about whether their teachings squared with the truth of God's Word or not. All they knew was that they were losing power, and they had to do something about it. <laughs> I wish I could say that this kind of motivation doesn't find expression in the church. I wish I could say that this motivation doesn't find expression in the church, but unfortunately, I can't. 
Jealousy is a powerful motivator to squashing movements that don't fit within the priorities of the powerful, even when those movements can be clearly shown to be consistent with the priorities of the Scripture and the kingdom of God. Even when I pick up the Bible and show you the text where it says God is committed to these things, where He is committed to making these things happen among His people and in the world, even when I show you verse after verse after verse after verse of God's commitment to justice in this world, you still tell me. And it just makes me wonder whether or not even among leaders within the church of God, we're dealing with some jealousy. The reality that some folks' power that they've held for all these years is being eroded. And they would much rather see the movement die than to see God's purposes accomplished. I'm just saying that maybe. (laughs) God help us. But can I tell you, can I tell you something about God? God was going to make His glory shine and the glory of His name shine through the work of these apostles, through the work that he was doing through them, and he was not going to let anything stand in the way of the movement of the proclamation of his kingdom that has come in and through Jesus Christ. He was not going to let anything get in the way of his kingdom being made known. And I got news for you this morning. He is not going to let anything get in the way of the proclamation of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that has come in this world to set people free from sin and death and everything that flows from them. And that's why, even with all the persecution, even with all the persecution, the gospel of the kingdom was making its power felt among the people as the apostles preached and proclaimed Jesus Christ, even in the midst of their suffering. Can I just tell you? The work you are doing for the Lord, the work you are doing for the Lord will shine because it's the Lord's work. Because it's the Lord's work, it will shine even in the midst of the persecution. Amen, people of God. We're we're, we're counted worthy. We are, we are recognized by God in the presence of men, even in the presence of those who are causing us suffering. God makes His name known. But we are also counted worthy. We're not just counted worthy in terms of the work. We're counted worthy for relationship with Jesus. I just want you to hear this. The disciples walked away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And I believe the disciples were already embracing something that the Apostle Paul would later put to words in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection 
and may share his sufferings. Think about that. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know him and I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The disciples understood that participation in Christ's sufferings meant knowing Christ and his power more intimately. They they, they understood that, that connected with knowing Christ, knowing him was also participating in his sufferings. That God counted them worthy to suffer for the name meant that they had been counted worthy for relationship with themselves through faith in His Son. Their suffering, their suffering, watch this, only strengthened their faith that they were the Father's sons, only strengthened their faith that they were Jesus' people. They were enduring trial, they were enduring trials consistent with the trials of their Savior which he told them would come on account of their faith in him. But in that, in that, it also told them that it was because they now belong to him. Here's what he says in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you, listen to those words, out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Jesus had chosen them out of the world, and they were now sharing in his life. And I believe, I believe the disciples understood what that meant for their future. If they shared in suffering like his, they would one day share in a resurrection like his. That's what sent them away rejoicing. They were on the same path that their Lord had walked on, destined to share in His glory since they were now sharing in His sufferings. People of God, this is true for you too. Don't despise the trials that come your way for Christ. Don't let Satan lie to you that these trials are because you are not His. No, they are because you are His. Rejoice, therefore, because if you share in His sufferings, you will also share in His resurrection. (laughs) Rejoice, because in your sufferings for Christ, God is signaling to you that you have been counted worthy through faith in Jesus for relationship with Him. (laughs) And the call here, brothers and sisters, is to believe that your sufferings for Christ are not an indication that you are not His, but the very opposite. Your sufferings for Christ are an indication that His favor rests on you, that you have been united to His Son. And this truth is meant to produce joy in us. And joy, joy doesn't mean that we don't recognize the pain and the discomfort of our sufferings. Joy isn't inconsistent with our tears. No, joy is that deep-seated contentment that comes from knowing that we are accepted by God. You may persecute me, but I'm accepted by God. You may slander me, but I'm accepted by God. You may threaten violence toward me, but I'm accepted by God. You may imprison me, but I am accepted by God. You may hate me, but I am accepted by God. You may take my possessions, but I am accepted by God. You may throw me out of your fellowship, but I am accepted by God. You may 
kill me, but I am accepted by God. You cannot take away God's acceptance of me. No matter what you do to me, I am His. I am His. I belong to Him. I'm persuaded, says the Apostle Paul, that neither death nor life nor angels. Come on, man. And folk with that kind of joy are dangerous. They are dangerous not because they're violent. No, they are dangerous because they won't shut up talking about Jesus. People who know they are accepted will not shut up talking about Jesus. They're dangerous because they won't stop telling the world about Him. They won't stop acting for good in the world for Him. Your threats won't make them stop. Your slander won't make them stop. Your ridicule won't make them stop. They just keep going and going and going and going. Ah, Lord, help us to recognize that our sufferings for you are your word to us that we are worthy, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Help us to rejoice in what we suffer for you, because we know that in it, your kingdom's being advanced, your purposes are being advanced, and people are being healed and set free. So I love the last, that last verse. They went away rejoicing. You know the next thing they said? They kept teaching and preaching. <laughs> They kept teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And what they were basically saying, if you want to arrest us again, go ahead, because we're going to get out and preach and teach about Jesus. And if we don't get out, the rest of these folk we just taught, they're going to keep teaching and preaching about Jesus. You throw them in jail, and then some others are going to keep preaching and teaching about Jesus. Because just like the Lord said, if I got to make the rocks cry out and declare the testimony of the good news about my kingdom, nothing is going to stop it. <laughs> Ah, praise your Lord. The cross we carry for Christ in this world, it leaves us marks on us, as King said. But we are not alone. <laughs> the ultimate cross, the ultimate cross was born for us. It was born for us that we in our sufferings might have hope. You've been redeemed, people of God through the sufferings of Christ on your behalf. Therefore, you have from God, you have help and you have recognition. <laughs> you have a God who will be with you in that cross-bearing and a God who blesses you in your suffering with the affirmation that you are His. Don't despair, people of God. Look to the cross and see in it your help and your acceptance. Amen, people of God. Amen. Amen.